This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heidman. And I'm Kelly King. Last summer, we were able to provide the full teaching sessions for Jen Wilkins, the Sermon on the Mount Bible Study, right here on the Mark Podcast. We heard from so many of you that you loved that content and you wanted to hear more like it. So for the next eight weeks, we are going to do Kelly Mentor's All Things New Bible Study together. We'll release the audio of one teaching session per week right here on the Mark Podcast. All Things New is one of several Bible studies Kelly Minter has published with Lifeway, and she has graciously granted us permission to play the audio here. Please note that this is copyrighted material, so we ask that you not reproduce it. Now before we dive in, know that the teachings in these sessions expand on the work that you'll do in the Bible study book. So for the full impact of the study, you'll want to get the Bible study workbook. You can purchase the book at lifeway.com slash allthingsnew. We have a sample session there if you want to use it while you wait for your book to come in the mail. These audio teaching sessions will be available for a limited time due to copyright restrictions. We will leave the audio up until April 30th. We hope that gives you time to get the book and study along with us. Over eight sessions, Kelly Minter is going to lead us through the letter of 2 Corinthians, exploring the anchoring truths of bearing treasures in jars of clay, meeting Christ through a pressing thorn, opening wide your heart in the midst of hurtful relationships, and what it means to embrace the lost and lonely as ministers of the new covenant. Each of us has a message to proclaim and live by. Because of Jesus, the old has gone and the new has come. Now, here's Kelly Minter. Well, you guys, we are almost there. Uh, You just got one more week left of study, and then you are done. And so I, I just feel like if you are at this point then we are as good as as done. Not that you don't need to do the final week, but that you can get through the final week, okay? So I hope that everyone will continue to stick with it. And and even after last week's text, I mean, you all all covered this somewhat difficult, um, sometimes hard text of the thorn in the flesh. And so I wanted to go back, and I wanted to actually teach on this. Um, I wanted to teach on this particular text because I wanted you to be able to hear this text uh, from my heart. I wanted to personally take this and share with you. And so I am praying that today would be a tremendous blessing uh, for all of us. I do want to let you know that one of the reasons that I wanted to do 2 Corinthians, and practically or possibly the number one reason why I wanted to study 2 Corinthians, was because of the thorn in the flesh. Okay? that's how troubled of a human being I am, all right? Um, that that is actually why I was so excited. I thought, oh my goodness, 2 Corinthians, that's the thorn in the flesh. Absolutely, yes, sign me up. And, but that's really the truth. I, I, I just, this passage has touched me and ministered to me in so many different ways. So I come to you today in more, with more uh, trepidation and a little bit of fear than normal because I think this is a, a sacred, very special text. Um, but I also come with a great deal of hope and excitement, and I come to you very personally 
So I hope you sense that today. So I want to start in chapter 11, and I want to read verses 30 through 33. As you're turning there, you know that Paul is talking about all the trials that he's gone through, all the hardships, uh, and, and he's really talking about these things to, to show uh, to, the, to the false teachers and to some of those who are confused in Corinth that, hey, listen, the Christian life is not necessarily a life without suffering. Um, it, if, if, if you don't have suffering anywhere in your theology, man, go to Jesus, go to Paul, go to Job. I mean, it is, it is all here, and yet there's an incredible grace that goes alongside it. So here's Paul in verse 30 of chapter 11. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Okay, I got to that passage and I thought, what is Paul talking about? He's doing this whole thing about his boasting and his boasting of his weakness and all of his suffering. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about this time that he was in Damascus and he was lowered in this basket and lowered down a wall and slipped through the king's hands. Okay, so this is fascinating to me. Look over in Acts 9, chapter 9, verses 23 and 25. As you're turning there, what Paul is referencing here to the Corinthians when we're in 2 Corinthians, he's referencing a time very early in his ministry. Did you see that he's in Damascus here? Where did Paul meet the Lord? On the road to Damascus. Remember, Jesus appears to him and he has this conversion experience on the road to Damascus. And the Lord opens his eyes. Well, it, it says in, in Acts 9 that Paul stays in Damascus for just a little bit of time with the disciples, and then he starts preaching Jesus. Well, the, the Jews are, they're going nuts over this. And so, well, let's see what happens. Look, verse 23, Acts 9. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. All right, go ahead and turn back to 2 Corinthians. The Jews were trying to kill him, so they had a night and day watch on the city gates. So basically, if, if Paul's ever going to get out of there, they're going to find him and they're going to kill him. But his followers were like, hey, Paul, great idea. We've got this basket, and we'll lower you down the wall, and you can get out of there. So Paul tells this story because he's showing, listen, I was an educated Jew. Don't remember if you guys know that? I had a lot of training. I get saved, and I go from the highest of the high to being tucked in a basket and dropped down a wall <laughs> in the middle of the night, fleeing for my life. Let's read verses 1 through 6, chapter 12. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. 
was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Okay, I think one of the reasons why Paul uses the story about being let down in the basket, I think this is cool. Some scholars believe that before he wanted to talk about being taken up into heaven, he starts by saying, oh, but make no mistake, I've been lowered in a basket. Before Paul is going to talk about this extraordinary experience that he has, he's going to first tell everybody about the weakness. And I love that that happened early on in his Christian life. I love that all these years later, Paul's talking to the Second Corinthians, but the basket, that was one of the first experiences that he had. And then later, we're not exactly sure when, he has this experience, and it says the third heaven, that's probably the highest, or is the highest heavenly realm, God's throne room, the holy of holies. It is possible that Paul was taken into the very presence of God. This is really cool. Uh, scholar George H. Guthrie asserts the main reason that Paul shares about the heavenly vision is so that he can talk about one of the greatest weaknesses of his life. He really believes that the only reason he even brings up this whole thing about being caught up into heaven, this amazing experience, is so that he can get to the part about talking about the greatest weakness in all of his life. And I, I tend to agree with that. See, what Paul's doing is he's going from high to low. Let me tell you about this amazing experience so I can talk about my weakness. So then God can give the glory. What I do is, let me tell you about the weakness and how I was so awesome and got myself out of that and became strong and how great I am now. That's what I tend to do in my flesh, right? No, Paul goes absolutely in reverse. Let me tell you about this incredible thing so I can then tell you about my weakness so that then I can tell you about the glory of God in my life. Wow, right? Oh, praise God for George H. Guthrie. I wouldn't have seen that. That was a good one. Sometimes you read these things and you just wish so bad the Lord had let you see that first. <laughs> but see that, but that's the whole opposite yeah. of everything we're talking about, right? Yeah, okay. Sorry, I just caught that, yeah. Let me, start, let me start that over. Praise God that George Guthrie got that. All right, let's read verses 7 and 10. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me or to beat me or buffet me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, 
in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, Paul was given a thorn. What was the thorn? We don't know. <laughs> People have been trying to figure it out forever. It could be a physical ailment, could have been persecutions and continuing oppositions, could have been psychological or mental travail. I think there might be a little bit more evidence for persecutions or a physical pain of some sort, but we don't know. And I believe absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we were not supposed to know. I think Paul would have told us if we were supposed to know and if that was going to be a benefit. And I think you can imagine, for all the, probably the same reasons that are in my head, that one of the benefits of us not knowing is so, so any of our experiences, any of the thorns that God gives can be plugged in, because it's really not about the thorn at all. It's about the grace of Christ. It's about the power of God working through us. So what was it? We're not totally sure, but I think that leaves us a lot of room for God to work in our personal lives. Okay, why was the thorn given? Well, that's totally clear. Praise the Lord. There's something totally clear here. To keep me from becoming conceited. He says that in verse 7. And I think Paul, just given his strength and his leadership abilities and all the education that he had and all of those things, I think he was probably someone given to pride. And then you throw a trip up to heaven? <laughs> he could be given to pride. So there was a thorn given to keep him from becoming conceited. Now, that seems hard. It seems harsh. It's a struggle. But recently I was reading about Solomon in the Old Testament. Remember Solomon had asked for wisdom and the Lord had given him this amazing, um, amazing wisdom. People from all over the world would come to him and he was wealthy and powerful. But his heart was led astray by all the women that he had and he, his heart was led astray to false gods became proud, and I think, you know what? I bet Solomon could have used a thorn. I wonder if Solomon would have been grateful in the end if he had had a thorn. Saul, Jonah, probably lots and lots of others, but I was just thinking about a lot of the Old Testament characters, some of the ones that started out strong, and then they got proud. And then they went to false gods, and they went to the pleasures, and they went to all their wealth, and they went to all their, all their way. And I think, you know what? The grace of God would have been a thorn. That's just something that popped into my head as I was, happened to be in the Old Testament while I was teaching this. I think if a thorn is what it's going to take to keep me from becoming proud, because what is pride, what is pride ultimately? First of all, we know that God hates it. I, I believe that it pains the Lord to see us suffer, but I think it pains him more to see us proud because pride separates us from God. Right? 
You cannot be proud and in peaceful, powerful, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the one divider. So while this seems harsh and while this seems painful, and I, I just have to believe, because remember that God is the God of oiktermas. Remember that word from way, way, way back several weeks ago? The God who feels for us, the God of compassion, the God of mercies. I have to believe that God felt for Paul, but he still did it because it would pain him more to lose Paul to pride. Now, who gave the thorn? We ask the question, what was the thorn? We don't know. Why was the thorn given? To keep him from being proud or conceited. But who gave it to him? Well, he says, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. So when it says, there was given me a thorn, was that thorn from God or was that thorn from Satan? The studying that I've done is that that term was given is typically used in a context of benevolence, goodness, grace, God bestowing something. When that phrase is used lots of other places in the New Testament, it's typically something from God. The scholars that I have studied believe that this thorn was from God. Um, some of the spiritual authority that I have placed myself under believe that this thorn was from God. Now, that's, this is my personal opinion. My personal opinion is that this thorn was given by God. Doesn't mean that you have to think that. But that's what, that's what I believe. And I think, that there's, I think there's good evidence to back that. Here is why that is not upsetting to me. And I, I sh let me step back. It is upsetting. It's, it, there's, there's tension here, okay? I don't think there's any way outside of the tension here. And this has been far more upsetting to me at certain times in my life than at other times in my life. Especially in my younger years and more earlier on in my Christianity, this was far more upsetting to me. So there's tension here. However, because of where we're headed in this text, I actually... I'm at peace with God giving it because I trust God's heart now. I trust that he's good. I trust that he's compassionate. Now, you may have to remind me of that at some point in my life. The Lord may choose to give me something that is just feels unbearable, and you might have to come back around and say, Kelly, remember? Um, I remember when I was really, really little, um, my mom and I were doing a Bible study together and we were sitting on the couch. And one of the questions in the Bible study was, what was one word that you would use to describe God? And I can't remember, I just should have asked, but I can't remember what my mom's word was. But it was something like, he's love. Or he's good. Or, you know what, I think it might have been that he's near. I think she said that he's near. And she said, what's your word, Kelly? And I said, mysterious. Because there was a lot of pain in my life at the time and a lot of things that I was really struggling with. And I said, I mean, Mom, like you think, I mean, mysterious is a good word, right, for God? 
because I could tell she was kind of, and I said, Mom, I mean, isn't that, that was going to be your second word, right? After near, it was going to be mysterious, <laughs> you know? And she said, Kelly, that's none of my words. I, I, I think he is, but that's just none of my words. And my mom and I are wired just different in a lot of ways. But it was this sweet moment because she didn't try to fight me out of my word. She knew it was going to take time. And it's not a bad word. It's just not an, a safe word or an intimate word or a word that you want to just throw your arms into the mysterious arms of Jesus, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we've talked about that since. And my words changed. And my words have changed. I've got a lot more. Mysterious is still on there. And be, just my nature, it's always going to have a good place up near the top. But there's a lot of other words in there. Compassionate, good, gracious, near, merciful, giving, forgiving, cleansing, purifying, loving. And so I, and like I said, you might have to come remind me one day, but I'm at peace with God as the giver of the thorn because I trust his sovereignty. I've seen him do too much. I've seen him do too much good with so much pain. I've seen him work so many miracles with such dead-end streets. I've seen him redeem from absolute brokenness. I've seen him give hope from hopelessness. Back to our guy, George Guthrie, he says, paradoxically, the thorn was both a gift from God and a goad from Satan. I think that's probably right. There's a paradox here, no doubt. Verse 9, most of your Bibles will have this in red, meaning the words of Jesus. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness this may be the only time that Jesus, post Paul's conversion, that Jesus actually spoke directly to Paul. So we find out that Paul had pleaded with the Lord three times to remove it, and this is Jesus' response. He's not going to remove it, but his grace is going to be sufficient. As if the Lord is saying, Paul... You've got to have it so you won't become proud, so you and I won't become separated. You've got to have it, but I am, through my grace, going to give you everything you need to deal with it. My grace is sufficient. It's adequate. It is enough. Not only does Jesus say my grace is sufficient, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for you. And then he says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, I don't know what your translation says. It might say perfect. It might say complete. What it really means is it's intended fulfillment. Yes. So, so when you are weak, Paul, my power 
it reaches its intended fulfillment. It, like, it, it's this place where it can kind of hit the pinnacle. All right, now we get this little turning point here. He says, therefore, so now Paul's turning here because there's the therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. All the more gladly or with, with pleasure or even or with contentment. Do you see that Paul's shifted here? Earlier, he was pleading several times, pleading with the Lord, please take this away, take this away, take this away. But now he's shifted. Therefore, I, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually at peace here. I can actually be glad about this because this is when Christ's power rests upon me. Now, this is so cool. The whole idea of Christ's power resting upon him, the, the uh, Hebrew equivalent would have been, it, it, it relates basically, it relates to God's dwelling among his people back in the Old Testament. And so the, 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 the Hebrew equivalent means this. It means to fix a tent or habitation on, to take possession of and, and live in the houses. Like there's this dwelling, this tent, this covering and one of the Old Testament uh, passages that some scholars think that he was connecting to that might have been in his brain is Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so Paul is saying that when I am weak, uh, yes, I'm strong and I can, just, I can gladly uh, boast in this. I'm, I'm contented with it now. I'm okay with it now. Because Christ's power is going to rest upon me like a tent, like a, where his habitation is going to dwell. He's going he's to invade every part of me and just kind of alight upon me. This is a very bold metaphor that Paul is using here if you go back into the Greek word that he uses here and then its Hebrew equivalent in the Old Testament. He is making a very specific point. While it's cool just to see that Christ's power rests, he's making this very strong point that just like the glory of the Lord would come down and just like um, God would, would come and, 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 and just habitate among his people and cover them in that way, as powerful as that was in the Old Testament, in that way, with this thorn and in my weakness, Christ's power is going to do that in my life. Christ's grace is going to do that in my life. I think that so often people who have had thorns, these just unrelenting pains that just don't seem to go away, and yet, when we get that revelation that it's because of the grace and the power of Christ that wants to invade our lives in a way that we cannot imagine, suddenly, we really can turn to some rejoicing. We really can be thankful for that thing that we've hated for so long, that we've pushed away for so long. And I don't want anyone to think that if you have had a thorn, it's because God is angry at you. 
or because he's forsaken you or because he's forgotten you. I think that's the thing that we think, right? We go through some pain and something is just beating us over and over and it might even be something that we, you know, a messenger of Satan. And it's so painful and we come to this conclusion, well, clearly, clearly, if I was living the victorious Christian life, this would not be here. Clearly, if I had enough faith, this would come out. Well, the Apostle Paul? Uh, I remember being on vacation years ago. I was having paralyzing anxiety. I was a kid, and I was um, on vacation with my family. And I share about this sometimes, not a whole lot, but for years and years, in and out, throughout, my very, very young childhood, well into college and even past, I struggled a lot with acute, acute anxiety and depression. And it, it just ebbed and flowed. It wasn't there all the time. I had some really, really good moments. But when it was bad, it was paralyzing. And I remember being on vacation, and it was one of the worst bouts of it that I was having. I mean, everything was just dark. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of it. I just kept praying, Lord, Lord, what are you? And I think I was 12 or 13, and I, rem I remember it. I, I wish I could get back to this place. Who knows where in the world we were? We were um, on a pastor's budget, so someplace very cheap, and someplace up in the woods in North Carolina. But there was this house, and there was a pond, and I'm standing there with my dad, and just crying, and just paralyzed, and, and he just had his arm around me, and he knew what I'd been going through, and my mom knew, and they were both in, incredible, and, and he just, all he could say was, Kelly, I, I think God has something for you. I just think God has something special for you. I just think, I just think he's got his hand on your life, and that's, I just, and the only reason I share that story is because that was, those were my dad's words to me, but I want to turn those around to you and say, you've got that thorn, evil as it may be, hard as it may be, unrelenting as it may be, God has something special. He does. He does. If God gave the thorn, you better believe he's got something special for you. We always need more faith. We always need to pray more. We always need more Holy Spirit. We always need to worship more. All those things. But if you've done all that stuff and you get to the point where Paul is and you feel like the Lord has left this for a reason, well, just know God has something special for you. Just know that he's got his arm around you. It's going to be all right. There's a plan here. Paul finishes in verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Now, this is key. Paul talks a lot about weakness and a lot about the power coming through the weakness. But let's be clear. Weakness in and of itself is not power. Okay? There was no power in Paul's weakness. There's absolutely no power in any one of our weaknesses, zero. So we want to be careful that we're not exalting the weakness or the brokenness or the pain or the hardship. 
No power, no glory in any of that. Rather, it's the avenue through which God's power flows. It's the avenue through which God's grace comes. There's no, there's no glory in the basket. But what a great story that he slipped through the king's hands in the weakness of the basket because then God gets the glory. I am reading a biography right now about a missionary who died in the early 1900s by the name of Lilius Trotter. And if you haven't heard of her, the biography is called A Passion for the Impossible. And Lilius Trotter lived in the 1800s, died early 1900s, and she was an amazing painter in England under John Ruskin, who was one of the greatest art critics of the Victorian era. And he got a hold of her artwork early on and worked with her for years and said, Lilius, you have the potential to be one of the greatest living artists of all time. The problem is, is that she had a heart for the people of Algiers. And she wanted to go work with those people as a missionary. And she came to this real breaking point. And not everybody has to make this choice, so this is not a prescription for everybody. But she had to choose between her art and mission. And she ended up keeping up with John Ruskin until the very end of his life. It's, fa it's totally fascinating. But she goes to Algiers, and she suffers. And at 20 years in Algiers with her friends doing missions, and she said basically there was almost zero fruit that she could actually see with her eyes. Who knows what kind of groundwork, though, this woman laid. I mean, she is awesome. Like, if I ever get a child, her name might be Lilius. OK. But this is what she said. I am full of hope that when God delays in fulfilling our little thoughts, it is to have himself room to work out his great ones. And I wonder if Paul wanting the thorn removed, not that that was a bad thing, that was a good thing to ask God to remove it, but I wonder if that was a little thought. And God wanted to make room for his big ones. Oh, I pray that you're encouraged. There's tension, but I pray that you're taking heart, that there's grace, that there's power, that God has his hand on you. I love Psalm 91. I love it so much that uh, I wrote a song out of this text, and it begins by saying this, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And, and for me, I feel like it's been those times in my life when I've had the thorn really pressing that I have come to dwell more sweetly in the shadow of the Almighty. You guys know that. You guys have had that experience. I know that you have. That when it presses in, you run to that shelter, right? You run to the dwelling place of Jesus Christ. My dwelling place is the 
Thank you for listening to the Mark Podcast. We'll be releasing all eight teaching sessions of All Things New Bible Study right here on the podcast for the next eight weeks. As a reminder, we will leave the audio up until April 30th. Be sure to get a Bible study book, schedule some Zoom calls with your Bible study pals, and listen in. You can find all of Kelly Mentor's LifeWay Bible Studies by going to lifeway.com slash kellymentor. If you're loving this Bible study content like we are, let us know. Tag us at Lifeway Women or use the hashtag Marked Podcast on all your social media. Let us know what you're learning. If you like getting Bible study content this way, or if you have ideas for future episodes, we are so grateful you're listening and we want to know how to serve you well. Goodbye.